All right, uh, Zach, right here, I want you to splice in the Macho Man, oh, yeah. Like, really, really loud. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Macho Man is going to come around. He's going <laughs> to eat his Slim Jims. Oh, it's coming. It's- Welcome to episode 40 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Y'all have to excuse me a little bit. I'm in the middle of a cold, so I'm going to be doing my best to mute myself when I when I sniff and whatnot. So, uh, Joining me today, we have newly appointed editor-in-chief. Uh, I, I, I'm the food critic. This is John McCarroll, editor-in-chef. Yeah, I get it. I get what he did there. So how's it feel, big guy? I don't know. It's fine. How does the power feel? The ability to fire me at will. It's nice. It's nice. <laughs> you, you know, I could fire you at will before, Rob. Yeah, I, I know, but now it's like all official and whatnot. No, Rob no, no even, even before I was editor-in-chief, I could still fire you. <laughs> okay. Uh, we also have the man who spent the better part of a week in Amalor. Oh, that's me, Stephen Meyerink. I'm Taylor's on the boards. And the man who was obsessively compulsive and got 106 crystal thingamawidgets. 360. And 300, 360? No, 160. 160. 160. Oh, my God. 160 thingamawidgets in uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen too. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm uh, Derek Kingsbergen. I do stuff on the site sometimes. Uh, lately, soundtrack reviews. You do write soundtrack reviews. And I try to list you as Derek Hamsberger, but I can't. <laughs> you did it that one time. I, oh, yeah, that's right. It went live before I fixed it, and then I yeah. had to adjust it quickly. That was cute. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So uh, we got games to talk about today. We got Final Fantasy XIII 2. We got uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. And then I'm guessing John's going to deal with some news, including the devastating news that, of course, Diablo 3 has been delayed. Best game 2014 confirmed. So wait, who is clicking? Wait. Somebody stop clicking. It's John. Dang it, John. Stop that. Please? I'm not clicking. Okay. I'm, not even, I'm standing up. Okay, it was Steven. Never mind. Uh, yeah. All right, so let's talk about Final Fantasy XIII 2 first. So we got two guys that have beaten the game. John marathoned the living crap out of it over the course of three days. And Yay. We have, I, do that, I do that way too often now. Yeah, I was going to say, you're like our go-to guy on marathoning games. Like, I, I was actually kind of happy that Steven got the Amalur, like, first review for us, because I don't... I The only game I've ever marathoned was uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, and I was getting very irritated with that. Yeah, what's great is, honestly, I finished my Final Fantasy review a day early. And so I could have marathoned Reckoning and then gone directly into Hyperdimension Neptunia and have three games in a row that I just do nothing but play in all of my free time. Um, probably good that I didn't do that. Yeah, I notice I need breaks. Like, I am I, I need breaks right now. Like, I'm kind of playing other games to kind of saturate. Just too many RPGs going on right now. Since I joined up with this dang website, all I do is play RPGs these days. I definitely have the utmost respect for people who review more often than I do because I've only had to marathon two games and I kind of botched it with Deus Ex because 
I tried to play it like I normally do, where I do everything and play it on hard, and then I ended up finishing it at the 11th hour of the <laughs> absolute last moment. But with Amalur, I was like, I started doing side quests, and I was like, my God, I'm never going to finish this game. I have to just, like, I put it on normal, and I was like, so many exclamation points must ignore. Yeah, John And I was says- just like, nope, I'm going. John sends me a review of uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution on PC. He's like, yeah, I don't know if Steven's going to finish this. Do it. And I was like, all right. It was the middle of summer vacation. I just sat down with a cup of coffee and just marathoned it. It was fun, though. But anywho, back to Final Fantasy XIII, too. Uh, John, your review. Um, yes. Very interesting. Very interesting. So you, if I remember correctly, you didn't give a crap about Final Fantasy XIII. Yeah, right. I got I got like 10 or 12 hours into Final Fantasy XIII. I got to Chapter Eight, I think it was. And that's before I, it got good, right? Apparently, it got yeah. Good at some the, point. I think I think there's a boss in chapter nine, which is when you start opening up when it comes to to customizing your characters. And I really, really couldn't care about the game. Like, I didn't care about the characters. I didn't care about what was going on. Like, there was nothing that was like, oh, I feel attachment to any of these characters or this world or anything else. Which honestly carried over to Final Fantasy thirteen too. Ooh, um. Boy. I really, really, really don't care about Sarah or Noel or Hope, though Hope is a significantly improved character in the second game. But as opposed to being whiny emo boy, he's like, oh, look at me. I'm a scientist now. Um, when you say Fantastic. Noel, when you say Noel, yeah. do you mean grown up Sora? Yes. Yeah. Grown up okay. Sora. Okay, because I, I was confused there, because it seems to me like somebody from Kingdom Hearts just showed up in the world of Final Fantasy thirteen, you know, sans too many zippers, and well, apparently I'm supposed to He's care. from the future. So does that... Wait, wait, wait. Mind blown. So wait, Kingdom Hearts Kingdom takes Hearts place in the future place. of Final Fantasy thirteen. Yes. I like how we both correct. agreed to that without any hesitation. Like, oh, is that Sora? Yeah, yeah, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Winnie the Pooh is apparently living... He's the Moogle. He's the... <laughs> All and Tigger right. is dressed up like a chocobo. So, so in the end, everybody seems to be just like, okay, Final Fantasy thirteen two, fun to play, story. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like I, I, I dig what they did with time travel, but you know what, the whole time travel thing was done in JRPGs a long time ago by a little game. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. it it's really, really fun. It's called Chrono Trigger. Oh. You know, I've I've never played that game. No. Wait, what? I Steven, I am totally kidding for God's sake. You never know <laughs> with Rob. What? I like Oh, okay. Okay, seriously. It, screw all of you. I like JRPGs. Oh. I I like the way that that they've got the branching paths and, you know, you've got you know, alternate histories and you can access both. You know, say you did something and it changed the course of history. You can go to the alternate timeline or you can go back and say, "Okay, I want to play around with this this world, which is the the entire let's move around, go between different timelines and different times works just like Radiant Historia. It really does. It's Hmm. it's as if you took the White Chronicle and we're like, "Okay, we're going to change how this looks a little bit. Okay, go. (laughs) Oh, boy. And uh, apparently I was right on the ending. Yes, which, no, 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 I'm going to call you out because Rob, <laughs> who went and, and looked up stuff about the Japanese ending, I thought he was like, oh, man, you called that. No, no, no. 
<laughs> no, Rob is not prescient. He just reads things and then re you know says them as his own opinion. Well, I I I was actually saying that it was going to end like that because that's what I heard. I I didn't mean for that to come across as like me being all like, "Ooh, I'm that smart." I I had impl- I thought I had implied that I had read that, but I apologize for that. So you weren't playing this game for the story. So what kept you going? Combat and the fact that okay, Chocolina. Yeah, Chocolina. Oh, my. Yeah, the fact that Chocolina, like, okay, you know what? I mentioned Chocolina in my review and how bad she is. Yes, she is a pretty awful character. But luckily, at least based on all the notes that I played, I I didn't 100% the game like Derek did. So Derek can correct me if I'm wrong. Chocolina is just a vendor, and you only talk to her when you have to buy things. She doesn't appear anywhere else in the story. So so what the developers of Final Fantasy 13 said, okay, you want a vendor, then we're going to give you the most, you know, obnoxious character to talk to. What is this, a punishment? No, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know which is worse. The fact that you have Chocolina, who's this crazy vendor, or the vendor from Final Fantasy 13, which was the save point. Yeah. yeah. She made cool noises. But not, yeah, but not Derek's noises of her own. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's... Moving on. Uh, now, Derek, <laughs> you got 160 widgets for this game. Now, one of the big selling points for Final Fantasy X-2 was that you you could like get the full ending of the game and blah, 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 blah. You totally know. ruined the ending. Yeah, well, yeah. Th- I agree with you on that one. But it does, does getting all those things do anything to the ending of this game? Or is it just kind of like these are things you can get? Yes, it does. There's a okay. there's a little secret epilogue thing that comes after the ending. You have to beat it again after you get all 160. But from what I've heard, it doesn't add much, um, and I haven't watched it yet. Like I I just got 160 fragments an hour ago, so I haven't uh, actually beat it. It sounds like it's a Tetsuya no more a Kingdom Hearts secret video. But, it, but those are always awesome. <laughs> hey, check out crazy stuff. Okay, uh, we're doing. Yeah, but that's how it was in the ending. Like, we're—I don't know—we don't want to say too much about the ending, although. No, no, yeah, we're, we're, this game is too new to really spoil what's going on. But I mean, I think what they're asking is, like Final Fantasy X-2, is—is the additional ending? Is it like the five-second snippet where something happens? In I 10-2? think it is. I think it is. Um, I think it's really short, but I don't—I don't know yet. I haven't seen it, so. See, I still want a game that lets me play like a full game and that secret ending from the original Kingdom Hearts and like the kind of twisted futuristic city with like the heartless and, you know, I, the club. They did. Big... It's called Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah, but you do that for like two seconds and then it's back to crazy Kingdom Hearts. I mean, there's moments you in mean, Kingdom Hearts 2 that are good, but like. You didn't like doing yeah, all like the part time jobs as Roxas? I did like that, so don't make fun but, of that. But I, why? I, no. I have to. God, look, I, Japan is obsessed with part-time jobs. There's a word in these lovely part-time job. Yes. <laughs> there's two. Um. There's two editorials that I really want to write at some point. There's one on like video game openings and how the the opening of your video game can tell me whether or not like it, it can immediately suck me into a game or just completely turn me off oh, to man. it. Do you know what the beginning video of Hyperdimension Neptunia is? Hmm. I don't. It, is it a dance concert? Pretty much. It's a bunch of, of scantily clad, what appears to be young girls. Oh, boy. And uh, to, to J-pop. Sigh. But they, Are they singing Real Emotion, though? Oh, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, but, but no, I think the, the beginning of a game is so freaking important. You know what I mean? Like, it, that's what sets the stage for the whole game. You know, it, it, what's interesting is I, I think that people are more favorable to games that start well and taper off as opposed to games that start poorly but get better. 
That's that's interesting. Well, yeah. it's first impressions. You know, yeah. like I, for me, you know, I I don't know how good the first hyperdimension Neptunia was after four. Terrible. <laughs> Go on. Because I only played it for four hours, and I was like, "This is awful," and I turned it off. <laughs> Uh, there's there's definitely examples. I, I think it's kind of we're kind of used to games sort of tapering off and getting stupid. I, I feel like that's something that we've just gotten used to as gamers. Like the last little bit of a game is is underwhelming. Some like, games do a very good that, very good job that, of having good. That's why I, that's why I'm a big fan of of shorter games. Like I feel like a lot of games draw things out, and you know what? This is this is starting to stop. We're getting shorter and shorter games, and. Like, you look at games like Portal 2. Now, despite not being an RPG, Portal 2 is about six hours long. Yeah. And it's good all the way through. I would yeah. rather have a good six-hour Portal 2 than a mediocre 12-hour, you know, whatever other shooter, even though Portal 2 is not a shooter. But. Yeah. No, I, no, the ending of Portal 2 is great. And then you have, um, I, I think one of the best openings in a game in recent memory was, like, the first hour of Dead Space 2. Like that first hour is super intense and awesome. And then the game kind of like finds its usual rhythm that's very similar to the original Dead Space. You're kind of like, okay, this is good. You know, it's not really doing anything new. And then it just keeps getting better and better and better. And then you do a really cool part where you're in probably the scariest environment in a video game in the past like five years. Wait, wait, wait. I I thought that was in Kingdom Hearts where you go to Winnie the Pooh. No, that just that just frightens Steven. No, but you're uh, thinking about Atlantica. Yeah, that's because <laughs> oh, who stuff I have to do in order to get the secret ending. Guys, did you just well, hear that sound? That's my nose bleeding from remembering that fishy fun song from Atlanta. Ah, oh, thanks, guys. But no, I, Dead Space Two just like kept getting better and better and better, and I think that's so rare for games. And what ends up happening a lot of time is that you, you can see gamers are kind of like, yeah, you know, I just kind of. I just kind of petered out. Like for for a personal example for me is is a game we actually cover. Maybe we should talk about that. Like I got to the Water Temple in Skyward Sword and I, I'm I'm done. And Steven keeps telling me, dude, the last couple dungeons are freaking awesome. And I'm like, yeah, but I've dealt with about three pretty lame dungeons so far, and I'm See, I, I'm done. I, I I don't know. I didn't agree with that. I thought you know the first dungeon is pretty weak, but I thought beyond that they were all good. Yeah. Uh, you know what game has an awesome ending? The new Ace Combat. Are you being facetious? It's a QTE, and you press a button, and your character raises his <laughs> fist in victory. Ooh, yeah. The ending of Space Marine wasn't very good. I you know, I, I haven't. I haven't beaten Space Marine yet, but I hear that the last hour is just kind of like meh. The the last hour of that game is just like they throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. If you make one mistake, you die, and then it's a QTE at the end. But the, the mechanics of that game were awesome. Like, okay, we are way off talking. Can we get back okay. to Fantasy Thirteen too? I yeah, I was gonna say players. I have a comment regarding QTEs. So one of the things that they advertised about Thirteen Two was that it has these cinematic actions that are you know QTEs basically, and there was a mixed reception to that. Some people thought they were cool. Some thought they were tedious. Well, guess what? There's hardly any of them in the game. I would hardly yeah. even acknowledge. And, and even the ones that are there, they don't matter. Like okay, there, there's like five, and there's nothing you can do wrong in them. You can't lose by pressing the wrong button. You just you get a bonus if you press all the right buttons, but that's it. But you now, can't, you can't at, fail. At the very, very end of the game, there are there is a QTE choice, but it, they give you plenty of time, and it's not like it's like we need you to choose, 
you know, something complicated. I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head because I'm yeah, you probably, probably don't want to spoil it. Yeah, but it, it's it's pretty much do this or do that. And it's something that that's pretty easy. And in the end, it doesn't really matter what you choose. Mm. Isn't that the same thing with the dialogue options, too? Like, uh, yeah. you get dialogue options, but they don't really oh, impact the, the, the game. The worst was there was one sequence where it was dialogue options and it was giving me a choice and there was a right choice. And every time and, and as far as I know, there was no place where the game let you know what the right choice was because it was choosing passwords. Oh, and if it you get it wrong. You. Oh, it does tell you. I was just. Yeah, there's like in the you're talking about in the tower. Yeah. yeah. If you listen, there's a, a voice like a computer voice that goes one, two, and you have to listen to it and then. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think that. they tell you in the right order, but yeah, it's just, you yeah. hear it while you're walking around, so you don't really pay attention. Oh, yeah. No, so I was just, I got all the wrong choices and was getting into random encounters every time I got it wrong. Mm. Uh, but that only happens, again, like once yeah. or twice in the entire but, game. But yeah, and but there, there are other ones than that one that do have wrong answers and just make right one, which honestly, I hate that. If you're going to give me a choice in a game... Give me an actual legit, choice. Yeah, give me legitimate choice. I, I would rather have. Don't let me play a, a guessing game. Yeah, I would rather have consequences if I choose wrong than just be like, um, no, choose again. Yeah, it, it sounds like they're trying to make a conceit of Western RPGs. And then it ends up just being like, no, the game is just as linear and just as like JRPG focused as it was before. But we're giving you implied choice. And I, I just think that that's, you know, don't even do it. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't even do implied choice if, if there isn't an actual choice. Just be linear. There's it, nothing wrong. Linear does not mean bad. I think, it just, I think it kind of takes away from just the integrity of the game. Like, it's like, yeah, we couldn't. We were so set on trying to fit a bullet point into this game. Oh, we have choices, but we don't. That it comes off worse than if there was no choice at all. Yeah. Yeah. Now there there are we're we're going off on on a lot of the bad things about uh thirteen two. Combat's fantastic. Leveling up has been streamlined and it's it's impressive. I like I like fighting in the game. There were only a few places where I was trying to do a puzzle or something else, and I kept getting into encounters. Yeah. I, I respect the combat system of 13. I mean, it, it's not my cup of tea. You know, we, we always talk about, you know, I'm all about control and, and about being able to do exactly what I want with each character. And, you know, Final Fantasy 13's kind of coach approach to uh, combat is, is very admirable. It just it doesn't do anything for me, but I can totally understand why people love it. I think... If it was more like 12, where, you know, 12, I had to go in and think about each situation and form the gambits the way I wanted to, I found that to be engaging. It was like, ah, how well did I put together my party? Oh, apparently I found the god party right away in the game, but that's pretty cool. But Final Fantasy 13, just, I didn't like the combat system there, and I don't think I'm going to like it in 13 too, based off the brief demo that I played. It just... It, it's at least the game opens up a little bit more. I mean, it doesn't do the first three hours of the freaking game is just hitting the attack button over and over again. I thought that was a joke in thirteen. Now, in I, what what I found is in in thirteen they don't in in a lot of battles it's it inappropriately uses the paradigm shift system where it's like you go in with your one power paradigm and just mash auto combat. Um, there, I think there's more combat in 13.2 that appropriately uses the system where based on what's going on, you need to shift paradigms. 
And that's where the combat system is. It's not in auto attack or choosing your abilities or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's in making sure that you have the right paradigm out in the right time. Yeah. Yep. So did you guys like it overall or I, I John there's kind of like ambivalence but uh Well, you know what? No, no. I there's ambivalence because I hated the story. I thought the dialogue was really stilted. The voice acting was mediocre. But I really enjoyed playing the game. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't I, even as much as I do for the website, I don't enjoy marathoning. Right. It's something I do when I have to, but usually when I have, I'm playing a game on my own time. I'm not marathoning. I'm not done with Skyrim yet. I play like an hour a week. That's about all I could stand, so I yeah. understand. <laughs> um, but I actually... <laughs> I, and and it, it gets worse with JRPGs. And JRPGs are, are a genre that I really can't marathon. Yeah. Because they're very samey. But... And, and I mean that... I don't mean that as all JRPGs are the same. I mean, when you're playing a single RPG, it's very samey all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that's that's true to an extent in every game, but I, I feel that that's more precedented or more prevalent in JRPGs. JRPGs establish a system, and then they don't tend to break from that system. That's you know that is the form that the, the format for the game. But what's yeah. so great about a JRPG is that you know I'm looking at Derek's uh, profile on on Skype right now, so I have to bring it up. Like Persona Four, what made that game so special to me was that first off, it felt like an anime series in that you know each week there was like a set adventure, a set well, goal that you had to but, complete. But the, this in Persona Three, Persona Three and Persona Four are one of the the JRPGs that doesn't fall into that, right? Because every day you have choice on what you're going to do. Yeah, and and they also they're able to break up the monotony of the combat. And I, I don't mean monotony in a negative sense, but just in the way that John meant, which is that it, it is very samey. They're able to break that up with different story tracks and different themes and different ideas and characterizations, and like John's saying, the choice. And so when I play a JRPG that's strictly focused on combat now, to me that's a step backwards from what the Shin Megami Tensei series persona, what they've been doing, is that they've well, been adding choice to JRPGs. Now, to be fair, I, I'd say that's strictly persona. Well, and, and for, for some extent, Devil Survivor. But I feel like the mainline Shin Megami Tenseis are, are Pokemon with demons. Right. Yeah, well, all... and you, you get a few choices throughout the story, but you don't get... Yeah, yeah, they're also freaking hard. Yeah. Anywho. But but going back to my point, um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of JRPGs are very samey, but when I was playing through Final Fantasy uh, 13 2 on a, a strict timeline, I enjoyed it. I wasn't like, oh, God, I have to finish this today. I was like, okay, let's play more Final Fantasy. Go. Let's do this combat. It's fun. And it's never – Final Fantasy 13 2 has a very interesting difficulty in that it's never hard – but if you act like an idiot, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it always requires you to be playing. Uh, Derek, give us your thoughts on the game. So John's kind of filled out where he stands on it. I, I like it a little more than John did. I, I want, I wanted to like it a lot more than I did, honestly. Um, cause did you I like, like it, not, not to interrupt real quick, but did, did you like 13? I think you did. Yes. Okay. I have the Lissy brand tattoo. Okay. I'm going to, mute, I'm going to mute you. I'm going to mute you right now because I will not have someone. And I'm, I'm totally playing. I'm totally playing. <laughs> I know. No, like, and, and the thing about that is that it's not even um, necessarily like, it's not my favorite final fantasy by any stretch of the imagination, but I had kind of a neat experience playing it together with somebody. And, and so it just means a lot to me. But anyway, 13 to um, the gameplay is awesome. 
it's sure. just I had so much fun the entire time, like developing my characters, finding new monsters. Battles are fun. Puzzles are okay. They're they feel kind of tacked uh, on. Though, um, so I know that you played this. If you got all the crystals. I still haven't finished out the segments in that wasteland to fill out Mog's story. Yeah. Because it's just filled the with clocks? Yeah. Well, no, the clocks are not hard. It's they're just time consuming. Well, there's just yeah, there's a couple areas that are just like do nine nine puzzle segments in each area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so so the gameplay overall, I enjoyed a lot. And obviously, I liked it enough to 100% the game. I still have to get a few trophies to to really complete it or whatever. But, but it's fun. It just like the story honestly just falls apart. It mm. it like they say paradox every other sentence. This oh. is like that's barely an exaggeration. You've created a time paradox. Yeah, it and strikes it's... me as the it's a wizard did it phenomenon. They were like, well, we didn't put any <laughs> emphasis on the story. Well, why is this all messed up? A wizard did it. Yeah, no. But it, instead of a wizard, it's a time paradox. Yeah, pretty much. They and and they they as as someone who's read a boatload of science fiction, um, they don't really handle the whole paradox thing very well. Mm-hmm. It's not it, McFly trying to save himself on stage at the fish under the sea dance and jamming yeah, the sea dance. Sorry. Cinema's greatest moments. No, well, no, no, no. There is there there is. Oh God! There's there's one part going back to the tower that what Noel's playing Johnny Be Good. <laughs> yes. Now there's one part in the the tower that's just it it's like really that's what you're going to use and and I I'm not going to spoil it because the game is still new but I think Derek knows exactly what I'm talking about. Mm, I think so. When they're when they're Adam. Yes. How they how they defeat Adam? Oh okay yeah that was that that was ridiculous. See that something like that happens two times in the game, and that time it was ridiculous, and another time it was just hilarious to me. And I know people are going to pick a bone with it. It's the part with, I, I don't even know what to say to not spoil it. It's in Sunlith Waterscape at one point where Sarah does something to end a confrontation. I laughed. Oh my god, yes. Does she do like okay. love and peace and like hold a peace sign? So. <laughs> I'm not going to no, say. No, it, no, it's, no it, it's 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 hilarious. Is it though. worse than that? <laughs> yes, oh it my. is. But it is hilarious. It doesn't involve a panty shot, though. Though, hey, no, it doesn't. Though the question I have for you, Derek, is actually during during Sunlit Water 400 or whatever it was, which is an area that has no chocobos. The game was playing <laughs> crazy chocobo for me. They did sure that happen? Were. What? Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, like the the. That 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 blows my mind. It's like they have they, the crazy chocobo, which if you haven't listened to crazy chocobo, and chances are if you're listening to this podcast, you have. Go look it up on YouTube. It's the it's the me- new metal chocobo theme. We should make it the intro to the episode. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> I I don't know why people hate on that. It's just funny. No, oh, it's hilarious. But where it shows up in the game, it's like, what is this doing here? Yeah, I felt the same. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay, sure. I also hate the uh, the one of the boss themes that's like it's it's just terrible grungy death metal that doesn't it doesn't really fit at all. Like the the chocobo thing I can accept because it's um, it plays when you're writing mutant chocobos that are out of control and crazy. But with that one, that one boss theme is just oh, yeah. And the mutant chocobos, they constantly eat your greens while you're writing them, which is funny Uh, because they're they're jerks like that. But Uh, yeah, that other boss theme I I can't stand. Uh, But. I don't know. I don't want to go into it. Yeah. Question for it, you guys. Yes. Um, how much do the other the old characters play into it? Is it pretty much the Noel and Sarah None. show? 
other people popping up here and there, or is Lightning basically just a cameo? Uh, Lightning appears at the very beginning and the very end of the game, and a little bit in the middle. Um, Snow shows up in the middle of the game, and I don't think they ever resolve. They they do in a paradox ending, oh. but like it like it's weird like because it is a paradox ending it's when it's the paradox endings are the secret endings that you unlock um you can only get to them after you beat the game and you get this key item that lets you refight old bosses that you couldn't beat basically and then you get new endings off of them but um but yeah he does show up in one of the paradox endings it's kind of funky though um, no, he, but, he doesn't really get resolved yeah the um saws shows up at the very end in a total total we don't that, need that was offensive. I was like, why bother including him if that's all you're going to do? Yeah. He's just like, oh, I'm here for five minutes doing nothing. Bye. Uh, um, so every hope... character of the cast makes an appearance, but most of them are just incredibly short cameos. Yes. Snow is probably around the longest because he sort of like he fake no, joins hope... your party. Hope, well, yeah, but that's only for that. One. Oh, yeah, there is hope too. Hope's hope in the is around the for the longest, I'd say. Hope and Snow have the largest parts. Lightning is, is there kind of as a backstory. Um, Fang and Vanille, spoiler for 13. I'm not going to go into it. Um, and then Saws is not there, really. Well, so now the, the question becomes what's going to happen to Final Fantasy after 13 2? Are they going to do a 13 3? All right. All right. I hope uh, not. You know, at, at the very, very end, there is a, a to-be-continued. And, uh, and, well, a lot of people think that's going to be 13.3, but it's probably going to be DLC. There was a little snippet of an interview with the director, and he said that he plans to expand the story with DLC. I don't know if that means that they're going to finish out the ending See, of the game. I, I, I don't think so. I think that expanding the story with DLC might mean tying up Snow's loose end or might mean adding saws some more or might mean doing more alternate timelines or I don't know. I don't think that that based on how it ends and the loose ends that are there, that it's not something that they're going to be able to do in a three hour piece of DLC. You know what I'd really like to do? Uh, th- this is kind of a brief aside, but uh, I saw an, a, a really nasty article, as you'll usually find on N4G or Kotaku, because people like to get their you know stuff read, where someone was just like, Twisted Metal to not have DLC, can a game like this survive in today's world? And I'm really interested, like, how many people actually go out and buy DLC? And I can only speak for me, I very, very rarely buy DLC, and I think I'm, a, I'm in the minority on that. But I would love to – just real quick, John. I would love to see the numbers on like you know, how did each DLC pack sell for Fallout, for New Vegas, for Oblivion. Like were these huge selling items because you would think that they are because game companies are doing it constantly. Yeah. You know what? I I agree. I would like to see it. I think that they do well. Um, I'm actually loading up my PlayStation account right now so I can tell you how many different items I've downloaded from PSN. I do like nothing. I, I really don't um, no. like I, I don't I, I have most too many other games, games to play. Most of yeah. the games I like don't get DLC. Yeah. Now, to be fair, this includes PS1 classics, demos, full games, that sort of thing. But I have 717 things that I've ever downloaded off of PS1. Good Lord, man. Um, I have over 200 DLC songs for Rock Band. Wow. Now, that's that's a good point because I, I downloaded some some Rock Band DLC a little bit. Like they had the Boston track. Of course, I was going to download yeah. that. I mean, I, uh, I I used to play Rock Band 
every weekend with my friends and every week I would buy one or two songs. Yeah. So I, I think that it's it's interesting that it seems like 13.2 has kind of been built around DLC in a lot of ways. They said they were going to do it, but I, I don't know if that's the right way to go. I just that that article really that article was so nasty and I was just like I think a game without DLC can survive just fine yeah. in today's culture. I don't well, think that that's a necessity. I, I think that with Twisted Metal, um, Twisted Metal is kind of different because it's got to focus on multiplayer. multiplayer. And it's tough to have a game with a strong multiplayer component without DLC. But you know what? Even just thinking of that, but to be fair, this is kind of another echelon. There's not a whole lot of DLC in regards to maps for... Team Fortress. Yeah, and same with Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2. Everything was free on PC. On, on PC, not on Xbox, though. Right, right. But, like, I, I just, I don't know. I, that, to me, I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that we've reached a point where a game, you know, even a multiplayer-focused game needs to have DLC. If anything, I think DLC in a multiplayer game, that requires serious balancing. You need to make sure that that new DLC, that new car, that new weapon, that new whatever – doesn't break the game and i think that that could actually prove detrimental well, to and, the game and i think, I think a lot of, I, oh go ahead you know what derek wants to say something he's typing to us in chat <laughs> derek i was gonna, uh, well it's not really that important i was just going to say earlier to add on to what you were saying um how how often people buy dlc um because i rarely do at all um i did buy the lightning battle thing for 13.2 just because i thought that was cool but um, I work at GameStop, and people buy DLC all the time. I, I couldn't believe it because I've worked at GameStop. This is now my fifth time working at GameStop. I keep going back for, like, holidays. I used to be a third-key manager, you know, nothing really. But uh, I'm back again, and I, I just came back in October. And it, it I'm absolutely shocked. Since GameStop started selling DLC, like, we have the little boxes that we put out on the shelves that people just bring up, and we scan it through, and it prints out a thing on their receipt. I can't believe how many people buy it. Like, I feel like DLC is kind of a. I don't really like DLC personally. My so, issue I, with with, this, with like that article you mentioned, Rob, is that a lot of people are starting to. I think in some situations are starting to view a lot of games as disposable or consumable. Whereas you look at a game like you know, we'll go with one that I love, Shadow Hearts. That you know that game itself wasn't designed for DLC. That it would add nothing to that game. Right. Whereas now it seems like so many games are built to be platforms through which to deliver that word I hate so very much content. And very few games can do it. Like I think Skyrim's a good example of a game that can do it. Well, I Rock Band. I I think that there are games that are set up for DLC. You have Final Fantasy Thirteen Two is one of them. Based on how you know you could even add DLC into uh, to Radiant Historia if if the DS had the capability to because it's got a setup that functions for DLC. Right now. Um, we I get into arguments with people on the boards about DLC all the time. I'm pro DLC. I like downloadable content. I like having more for the games that I like. But I'm anti bad DLC. And there's <laughs> lots of games that oh, have yeah. bad DLC out there. Um, you know, you bring up examples like like Beautiful Katamari. Beautiful Katamari for Xbox 360. There are maps and things on the disc. Yeah. And you have to, back. yeah, and you have to buy unlocks for them. You download yep, a 100 kilobyte uh, unlock, and that's it. Yeah, you have the um, the Arkham City Catwoman stuff, which I felt actually made the game not fun. Like I actually thought that that was the worst now, part of the okay. whole game. Now, I, the the Catwoman that's stuff. That's an online pass. Yeah, 
Online passes are an entirely different story. I don't think that's an argument that we want to have today. Well, especially considering one of the games we're going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) And people seem to have lost their minds over that. My goodness. Well, I I also thought it was... Well, okay, so we don't want to talk about online stuff, but like DLC to me, I'm not anti-DLC either. I think there's there's really good DLC. Like I I completely forgot about Undead Nightmare for Red Dead Redemption. Like that was freaking awesome. Or, you know, look at the Borderlands expansions. Those are all exactly what you want in a pack of DLC. Yeah, now, I think that, that DLC as a replacement for expansion packs is perfect. Yeah, I like that. I much like the way that Bethesda is doing expansions in that. Okay, here's a ten dollar piece of DLC, then buy a thirty dollar Shivering Isles. Yeah, I'm okay with that. That's fine. I just, I don't know. I, I don't think DLC is a necessity, and I think some games like you know, think about. No, uh, think I, about- oh, I, I I don't mean to cut you off, but I agree completely. As long as your game is complete without DLC, yes, I don't mind more. Right. Yeah. But then I think there's some DLC that, to me, doesn't even make sense. Like one game that we talked about very briefly at the beginning of the show. I love Deus Ex for Human Revolution. I, I adore that game. It's a great game. I still haven't played The Missing Link, and I don't – like I'm going to sit down and play it. I have it. You know, John gave it to me for God's sake. I need to play it. But like I don't know why it exists. It's a single DLC episode for Deus Ex that takes place in the middle of the game, is inconsequential to the rest – why does that exist? You know, and like they're, they're and they're and they don't seem to be making any more. So it's like, why is it there? It, it the, seems like the, they went really half-hearted with it. Now, the, the I, I actually have to agree here. I reviewed the the DLC and I was like, well, this is okay. Deus Ex is not a game that's built to have DLC. Right. It's a linear game, and and when I say linear, I'm talking about the story, not the gameplay. Obviously. Right. 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 Yeah. It is a game where things happen. Not, not a game where you go out and make things happen. Yes, exactly. And a game where things happen can't support DLC in its game in the same way where you make things happen. I 100% agree. So I think well, Final Fantasy... Go ahead. Well, the, so, thanks, Rob. That's that's why you run into situations like, you know, not that Mass Effect 2's DLC was bad, but, you know, they had a tough balancing act. You would run into DLC where, okay, I've beaten the game, and then... You know, the elusive man is calling you up and being like, hey, check it out. I've got somebody for that suicide mission. And you're like, uh, after, what? after you and the elusive man are no longer on speaking terms. It's like, I'm possibly. pretty sure I just totally jacked your stuff and then you hate me now. But all right, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I hate it when Charlie Sheen yells at me. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen yells at me. <laughs> I hate it, man, when Charlie Sheen yells at me. <laughs> Charlie Sheen yells at me. That's even you. worse. <laughs> so Final Fantasy 13 2, uh, we're expecting DLC. Well, we know we're going to get DLC. Yeah. Possibly I, I, a sequel. Yeah, I. Uh, what you know what? At the end of the day, if you're jonesing for a JRPG, Final Fantasy Thirteen Two is high budget and it's entertaining. It, it's far from the worst story I've ever seen in a game in the on this generation. Um, Star Ocean Four, <laughs> but you know, it's it's a worthwhile game. You know, it's it's back to kind of more classic JRPG compared to Final Fantasy XIII, using that new battle system. You want to posit a question? You know what I'm excited for? Tales of Grace. I think that's going to scratch the itch. That or uh, Nino Kuni, they're going to give us what we didn't get in thirteen two. Tales of Grace is Tales of uh, the Abyss, 3DS, going to be out oh, probably like three when, days. 
I'm not sure how I feel about Nino Cooney. I remember I played that at TGS, and I've seen a lot of it, and I just couldn't get anything other than, well, this is a very, very pretty, very generic JRPG. And I mean, I, I haven't played it enough to make you know make that claim overall, but I'm excited for that. I, I'm really. I, I feel like it's just the title, the name behind it, that's getting it all this publicity. Because otherwise, it would just be you know very generic JRPG. Well, but it would still be a level five game, even if it didn't have the uh, the Studio Ghibli license. I know that's, what I'm excited for. A- uh, April, Xenoblade. Diablo three. Uh, oh God, Xenoblade. Yeah, that game ain't coming out in, Dia- in uh, April. But I'm really excited for Xenoblade because, from what you guys have told me, that's the JRPG that I'm going to like. Every that, time I get on the podcast, I feel like I need to say this is one of the best RPGs I've ever played in my life. You my, need to get it. When my when brother, I'm, is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I keep it out. No, no. I mine's a true aside. You know when I'm going to get my Vita on Wednesday, and when I'm at GameStop, I'm going to pre-order myself some Xeno Saga, or Xeno, no, it's not Xeno Saga, <laughs> Xeno Blade. Good I, luck. Did, I did not like Xeno Saga. I, I, I love it. I, I really think you guys will enjoy it. Um, I, I spent the better part of today talking to my brother about how awesome Xenoblade was. I haven't finished it yet, but I fully intend to. I mean, it really is just all the right decisions made in developing a JRPG, like I mean, aside from the music, which is fantastic, which I haven't feel obligated to point out, you know, it's just they said, OK, what doesn't work in JRPGs? What can we change or what can we what can we co-op from Western games that does work? But how do we still keep the core of, you know, what makes it feel like a Japanese RPG? And we've said it before and I'm going to say it again. It's what Final Fantasy 12 for me should have been. I'm OK with that. All right. So we've talked enough about uh, Final Fantasy 13, too. I think it's time to talk about uh Kingdoms of Amalur, which is, I, 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 God, they really, any other name, like, God damn, this, this is a very, very, I hate telling my, my students that I'm playing this game, like, they come by and they're like, wow, that game looks really cool, and they're like, what's it called? I'm like, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, and they just give me this look of just like. Well, what, you know, if, if it could even be acronymed, because you had uh, Warhammer Online. Um, I forget. I forget the actually the full name of the oh Warhammer Online Age of Reckoning, which sounds very similar, but they shorten it to War. What are you playing? I'm playing War. Yeah. I, if I say I'm playing Amalur, that's a little bit better. But like, I don't know. They. I know it's a petty thing to to pick on. I just don't. <laughs> they need something to make this game like Skyrim sounds like badass. You know, like it. It just. You know, kicks you in the teeth and tells hey, you you're going to go out for an adventure. All of the people who worked on Skyrim, what did they have? Money? Herpes? <laughs> did they? They had jobs. What kind of jobs did they have? Steve Jobs? I don't know where he's going with this. All right, I can't say it because it's dirty. What? Shout job. <laughs> oh. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Audience, you have missed a funny. Moving on. Anywho, all right. Um, but no, I, I just think that Amalor, you know, uh, Stephen, you you reviewed the game for us and you liked it quite a bit, and I am liking it quite a bit. I'm about six or seven hours into it. Really, really liking it. Uh, right off the bat, generic title, pretty lame opening 
dungeon. This game does not put its best foot forward. I, I, I don't agree with that. Almost every Bioware game has a lame opening dungeon, and we love those games. Uh, I mean... Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I, I agree in, in, in regards to Dragon Age, but Mass Effect 2, where it's pretty much like, oh my god, awesome stuff happening. You're thought, dead. Okay, all right, with the exception of only Mass Effect 2, Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, Baldur's Gate, Throne of Ball. Whoa, 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 whoa. The, the opening of Dragon Age Origins is awesome. I can't even remember it. Yeah, because it's different for every character you play as. What's wrong with that? Oh, yeah, that thing where you... Yeah, okay. All right, well... The issue is not that that they're different, but that, like, I... God, what did I play? I played, like, a dwarf something. A dwarf noble. And I was like, okay, this is generic political crap. Yeah, but I I think Amalur's problem is that... I, okay, uh, I don't mean to start negative on the game because I really do like it. But let, let's just so the the opening of this game, you are in a fantastical uh, fantasy realm. You start out, you create your character, you know, obligatory knobs and switches to make your guy, and then you wake up from the dead, and it's like go have an adventure. And until you get out of that first dungeon, it's like eh, all right. Then you get out of the dungeon, and then it becomes awesome. But I, I do, I do think the beginning of the game is a little lame. That's so many games, though. I mean, Skyrim, Elder Scrolls. I mean, the opening dungeon is called, here, you can use swords. Also, you can use bows. BT dubs, you have magic. Skyrim yeah. begins with you being chased by a dragon. Yeah, or the Macho Man. Yeah, but it, it functions when you the same way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. It's but it's so great because the the first thing you hear is oh it's coming. <laughs> it's like <laughs> instead of the dragon flap. Derek, Derek, have you seen this? <laughs> no. Okay, so I'm I'm going I'm going to find this for Derek while you guys talk about the beginning of Amalur. <laughs> so oh, um, anyways. So anyway, Am- Amalur um is a you know, big open world uh, RPG, but its distinguishing characteristic is it's awesome. Well, it is awesome. It's bug free. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, this game actually does play fairly well. But Stephen, all right, Stephen, start being descriptive here. I'm trying to give you lead-ins. Go. Okay. Uh, well, basically, the big thing they advertise, and it's because it's the best part of the game, um, and not not to the not to the fault of other parts of the game. It's just the combat is just so fantastic and so open-ended and so completely like, hey, how do you want to play this? Go right ahead and try anything you want. Oh, you don't like that? Well, here. It costs you, like, a, a gold piece to reset your, your skills. Um, the... <laughs> Steven, you there? I'm here. <laughs> Are we just getting Derek's reaction to the Macho Man? <laughs> what is this? What has the internet done? <laughs> what, you don't like the Macho Man? The man's he dead. Failed. You honor the dead, damn it. I am honoring him. He's like shooping the whoop there at one thirty. <laughs> <laughs> shooping the whoop. Steven, keep going. Anyways, uh, so... Yeah, the combat is just great. Like, the game is structured that, you know, your character has no fate because he died and came back, so he's been torn free of the the tapestry of fate, and everybody he comes into contact with, he's changing their fate. By and large, that means he's murdering the crap out of them, but, you know, other people, you can save them. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of combat in the game, but the other parts of the game are... what What really sold the game to me was that Okay, this game could have great combat, but if everything else sucks, I'm going to beat it and not touch it again. I, you know, I had to force myself to skip the optional content in the game because all of it's pretty compelling. You know, 
you get some generic, oh, hey, I lost my pants. Can you go find them for me over there? Oh, crap, it's a bear. But, you know, and then you'll get some other cool quest where it's like, hey, help me unearth this ancient ruin and, de- you know, decipher these runes or something. You know, all, every aspect of the game has at least had enough time paid to it to warrant its inclusion. Like, the side content is good. There's a ton of lore. There's lots of books you can run around and read. You know, you can sneak around in town and stab people and steal their stuff. You murder know, you, chickens. Murder you can chickens. murder chickens. You know, and the game tracks how many chickens you've murdered, and I feel like they added that just for John. <laughs> you know, I saw that, and I go, I wonder if they added this after John wrote his thing about killing chickens. <laughs> this is going to sound like a knock on the game, but it's it's really not meant to be because, I, you know, let me preface what I'm going to say by, by saying that I, so far I like this game more than Skyrim. I think Skyrim is more about immersion and making you feel like you're in a place. Amalur is very gamey in that it's giving you a task, you go and accomplish it, and you get better as a result of it. One of the best things that the, – the, the biggest things I love about this game is that when you beat a quest, you get a sizable amount of money and you get experience. And whenever yeah. I beat a quest in Skyrim, it was like, geez, thanks for that, buddy. Here's a generic dagger that's like 10 levels below you, but you know, move on with your daily activities. And of I was course, like, he doesn't say dagger, and he doesn't say thanks for finding my pants. He said, hey, thanks for finding that insert item. Here's a reward. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think Amalor does a much better job of making me – even if I'm not interested in the quest, I like when I finish the quest because I just got stronger. And one of the best parts about this game is you feel like a badass in this game. Like I am a like pure magic user right now. I am like Harry Potter – on drugs flinging fire and magic and just death and destruction i think the difference there and and this is not a positive or negative for either game uh reckoning is able to do progression correctly because it's hub and spoke it's hub and and spoke i think i know what you're saying here there's a hub and there are spokes that you can explore out on in that particular hub Ah, got it on and then, you know, one spoke takes you to the next place where there's another hub. And then one spoke takes you to the next place where there's another hub. And there's a general progression. Skyrim doesn't have that. Yeah, Skyrim is just big-ass world, which is cool. There's nothing but, wrong with that. you know, if you go find the quest that, you know, is in some area that's lower level, well, you get a whole bunch of rewards that you don't care about. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, I, I'm just loving Amalur because... You know, for one thing, the game does loot right. Which oh man, the loot in that game! Somebody Goodness. complained about the loot in a review, and I just wanted to slap them. I was like, "Do you it, like? I, I'm sorry. Do you like picking up glass war axes over and over again? Like this game, you get like the Diablo style, you know, of the naming convention, and you're constantly you're, it, the loot's coming in good progressions. It's not so much loot." that you don't care about what you're using, but it's enough to where you're finding something new in a reasonable amount of time. And the two things with that too, one are that because of how good the combat is, finding loot in tandem is just so addictive. And that's what really is keeping me playing after the game is that there are so many quests to do. And I'm like, cool, I can continue to build my character. I can continue to come up with sweet ass combos. I can continue to find awesome items and it works so well. And even the junk you find a, you could sell it with the super handy junk feature, or you can, you know, all the crafting skills are useful. You can level up your blacksmithing, break down all the crap you find, and then make awesome stuff. It, I find it to be a very relaxing game to play so far. Like, I, I kind of went on maybe a four-hour spree yesterday and another, like, two hours this morning. And 
I find it to be very, very relaxing. Like, you know, I'm going around. I have a quest. I have an. Ooh, here's another quest. Ooh, here's a chest. Ooh, here's a a cave. But it's ooh, not. Piece of candy. Ooh, piece, piece of candy. candy. Ooh, piece, piece of candy. candy. And then you ooh, catch James. Candy. And then you catch James Woods. But it's it's not the. <laughs> it, it's not like the. I'm going out and making my own fun in a way that I I didn't feel in other open world games. Now I will say that the game's quests for the most part the quests are good. There are some quests that are kind of yeah, you know, not not that interesting. But there there hasn't been a quest that has struck me on the level of like a Fallout 3 quest where it was like, you know, go to the Republic of Dave and fix an election. And I, I don't <laughs> even think that was their goal. Like I think No, they, it wasn't their goal. <laughs> Like, I, I think they wanted, in a way, to do that, and they sort of succeeded, at least in giving the quests some identity, but none of them are like, oh, man, I feel like I made a difference. You're like, yeah. well, all right, cool. I got, goodies. I got goodies. I did have a hard time remembering what I had done during that marathon section. I was like, okay, I, I did this, and then then what did I do? I, Oh, yeah, I did this. And so it, you can really see the MMO background in this game. If somebody made an MMO with this combat, my life would be over. I would right, be in serious trouble. You can't make an MMO with that combat. Why you not? Can't. Because there are sign. Okay, so Rob, John's gonna break you? my head now. Yes, <laughs> I am. Because to have okay now now there's a difference between an MMO and Fantasy Star Online. Okay. I want to put that straight out because okay. Fantasy Star Online is completely instanced and theoretically could do something like this. So if you want Fantasy Star Online with this combat, I have Actually, no beef with you. That's what I want. Co-op in this game that's would what be I want. unbelievable. That's but what I go want. on. But you take the from from a technical aspect, you take an MMORPG. MMORPG assumes that you have a a a world that you're connected with multiple users. You cannot transmit that much data that precisely that quickly. Yeah, I'll agree. I'll agree. So what I guess I would want... Uh, <laughs> Roger's like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. No, 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 no. I was like, I know you win. No, 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 no. <laughs> but he's right. What I want is I want something more like Fantasy Star Online or something like Diablo. This wouldn't work as a as an MMO, but I think this would work as a multiplayer game. To me, I get flashes when I'm playing this game of Borderlands, only I care. <laughs> I think I think the issue also has to do with with the concept of object control, and when when you have combat like this where you're juggling, you're moving things around, it, it's tougher to say who controls a particular object. Um, most of the time, when you have when you have something going on, it's being calculated by a single console and being transmitted to the others in regards to object placement, mm-hmm. and. I don't know. It would be tougher. It would be tougher to do it with the more action oriented you get, the more data that needs to be calculated, the more data that needs to be transmitted. It gets more and more difficult. I don't know. My my brother works no, but you, as, as, as a network programmer, so this is conversations that I've had with him before. You're very right, though, because like playing uh, Dark Souls online, like you will see a lot of janky stuff. Like you, you'll see it. Like you the know, I will like walk to the stairs and then look like he's falling. Yeah, you'll you'll see some janky stuff because the game has to transmit an, an insane amount of data. But anywho, like Amalor to me is a very like big game about questing and about character progression. It, it you know people use that phrase you know oh Dragon Age Origins was the uh, single player MMO. I feel like Amalor is just doing what I wanted, you know, what what I saw hints of in like the old Republic, where I feel like I'm the most important guy in the universe, and I have all these quests to do, and I feel interesting, and I'm getting loot. I don't mean that from like a gameplay perspective, but I, 
this is doing what you know old republic was kind of doing when i was starting it but i, I wasn't fully there because the combat kept ripping me out but this is what it's doing, and I, I really, really enjoy the game. I find it to be very relaxing. I think the combat is very, very good. Um, I don't – you know, a lot of people have said, well, the combat's not up to God of War, Ninja Gaiden, Devil May Cry. I'll agree with that, but I think the combat is is awesome. And There's, those games also don't have a huge loot system and a great, right. really, really modular skill system that allows you to actually control something. Right. I, I've I've got my beefs with the combat. Steven and I were kind of hashing about it a little bit tonight. Uh, I don't like, for example, that I, I think the dodge mechanic, it doesn't work like the dodge mechanic in most other action games, so I'm still getting used to it. It feels like I dodged, and I didn't, and I end up getting pasted, and that... That irritates me a little bit, but that's me still getting used to the system. That's me. You know, sometimes you'll think that you're going to stun an enemy and you don't. So that's all based on stats and whatnot. So it is very much an RPG under the hood. My only real big beef with this game from the combat is that, you know, I was playing it on normal. And a lot of people have said that this game is way too easy on normal. I was kind of feeling that, and now the game's starting to get a little bit more challenging, and I'm really liking how the progression of the difficulty is going. I, I was actually going to comment on that, too. The, the difficulty, I was complaining a lot at first about how painfully easy it was. The game has what I would call a near-perfect difficulty curve. Uh, you know, the, it gets more challenging, it ramps up, you are required to use your skills, but it's never going to make you want to rip your hair out. Right. I, I have not been angry on normal. I've been like, wow, I barely got through that fight, but like, you know, I'm not angry. Then I started playing on hard, and this game does the absolute most aggravating thing yeah. that a game can do when you increase the difficulty, which is we're going to give the monsters a hell of a lot more hit points, and now they all do more damage. Have fun. Like, it's not like they're doing new attacks. It's not like they got smarter. It's just that it's all stat-based. And I just roll my eyes. Like, when I'm wailing on a cave troll and I can't take him out on hard because he's just got, like, 11 billion hit points. And that's that's frustrating. I was kind of hoping that maybe they would go for, like, you know, more advanced AI routines or maybe the enemies are more aggressive. No, they just hit harder and have more health. I One thing I noticed, I... My my time with the retail build has been shorter than I would have liked because I'm playing Neptunia for review. But I when I played my eight hour marathon session when I was in uh, Baltimore, the the at that point the game's difficulty balance between the difficulties was not very good. Normal was easy and hard was brutal. Yeah, and that's. That's frustrating. The The example that I used was like, of course, Dark Souls does the exact same thing on New Game Plus. All it does is make the enemies ridiculously hard, like in terms of health and damage. But at that point, you're playing on New Game Plus. You're playing with your new equipment. The game has to become challenging. Amalor just, you know, just give the enemies a pool of hit points and have them hit. Like most of the enemies on uh, hard can kill you in like three hits. I'm playing as a mage, and like if I get hit by a cave troll three times, I'm done. That's a little too brutal for me. Like that's that's obnoxious. So, uh, for people that are saying that this game's too easy, I don't I don't understand that because I think the difficulty is right where it needs to be. And if you pump this game up to hard, it's gonna get frustrating. It's gonna get really really frustrating. But I love the game. I'm I'm very much enjoying this game. This is a I, I 
I think the problem, though, is that so far I feel like I've had no impact on the world. It's like I complete a quest and the lady's like, oh, thank you so much. I get to join up with the Brotherhood of Mages. Burp, 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 burp. Thank you. And then it's like she goes away. And I'm like, OK, cool. I, yeah, the, I think that that I, obviously I haven't gotten as far as either of you, but in, in regards to world impact, it feels like what you're doing doesn't have a whole lot of impact, which is is odd considering that that changing fate is supposed to be the <laughs> the key aspect of the game. Yeah, you kind of figure that's going to be the main selling point. It's it's not a bad thing. It's just it's different. And I, I you know, uh, what did I say in the pre-show warm-up? I said that it, it's going to be funny. I, I kind of want to get Kyle on the show because I think Kyle who likes games like The Witcher, which are all about world, and I like games all about, you know, gameplay. It feels like Amalur's my game, The Witcher 2 is his game. And it'll be interesting to see what he thinks of it, because I, I have a feeling that he's really going to be upset with the world and the lack of impact on it, and I can't disagree with him on that. Like, I am not engrossed in this world. Like, I cannot name one character. I can't name my own character in this game, because I accidentally gave him a name at the beginning when I was using uh, my PlayStation. Yeah, I named him Carowin by accident. Like, and I was just like, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. That's fine. But like, I can't name any other characters in this game. It's not like the you know Dandelion in uh, The Witcher Two or um, uh, Garrus in Mass Effect. There's no mm. character that stands and, out. And to be fair, you know what? Not not in The Witcher Two, but in in Mass Effect, you have a significant portion of the game is. Sorry, no, in, in, in Witcher 2 as well. The, that Those games have a, a big focus on dialogue. Yes, this and, does not. And, and to have that focus on dialogue, you have to have good characters. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of dialogue no one cares about. Amalur doesn't care so much about dialogue. Amalur is like, okay, we're going to give you background. We're going to give you information about the world, but it's not like, I'm going to talk to Dave. Dave is my new best friend. Right. Emilor is very much a it's a task game. I kind of said this before about Skyrim. Like this is a game about giving you tasks, about giving you jobs that make you stronger, that make you better, and that's totally fine. Like I am completely okay with that. There's nothing wrong with that kind of gameplay. But I think that if you're looking for a game that is deeply immersive, if you're looking for a game that's going to you know let you do things like blow up Megaton, it, this isn't the game. But if you're looking for a game that's about Creating characters, having really good solid combat, and having fun—I I think it's a perfectly good game. Yeah. I, I think that that I was having a conversation with with someone on Twitter, and I think that that the reason that Rob really likes this game is Rob is a fan of Diablo. Rob is a fan of loot. Rob is a fan of combat. Your point. And no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I, I'm essentially reiterating what you just said, yeah. which is is if you if you play for gameplay. So you love Skyrim, you're going to like Reckoning. If you play for story, you know, you love uh, Mass Effect 2 for its story. Witcher 2. You, you know, you love The Witcher 2 for its story. I'm going to argue with you that Witcher 2 doesn't have gameplay, just like Steven will. But we're not going to have that argument again. Wait, you're going to argue that it doesn't have gameplay? Because that's my argument. No, no it arc, does. Arc, 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 arc. <laughs> if you're a fan of Nier, you're not going to like reckoning because you know the kinds of things that are in near aren't in are not touched upon yeah yeah no and that's to say the game is throwaway the game is no. at least as good as other big open world rpgs in terms of story and lore 
Yeah, I, I, I don't feel as connected to the game as Skyrim, but at the same time, I don't feel like the game's pushing me away. I, I think the world that they've created is very interesting. Like, I went onto the Amalur website, the actual Amalur website, not the Reckoning website, and, you know, Salvatore put a lot oh, yeah. no, of lore into this game. There, there is a crap load of backstory for this world, yeah. and I think that, that a lot of that's going to be explored in their MMO. Yeah, and that's the really cool stuff, and I, I really like that aspect of the game. It's it's not unlike Origins, where you know when you play Origins, uh, Dragon Age Origins for the first time, you're like, oh my god, this is so generic. And then no, the the writing makes it different. The writing distinguishes itself from the Tolkien tropes that have kind of controlled fantasy for so long. I think first off, I think it's harder for fantasy to stand on its own than it is for sci-fi. I think it's much much harder for fantasy to stand out. Because what does fantasy begin and end with? It typically begins elves. with Tolkien. It, it begins with elves and gnomes and Tolkien. Dragons. And so, you know, things like what Martin's doing with Song of Ice and Fire, that helps to distinguish it. And I think with, like, um, with sci-fi, it's a lot easier because you can do different types of tones. You can do the Star Trek, very clean-looking uh, f- utopian future versus the Star Wars kind of nitty, kind of grittier versus the Deus Ex, you know, cyberpunk. You you have so many different avenues, and I think the problem is that fantasy has a tendency. Uh, but what's really cool about Amalur is that I really like its storybook tone. I wish it went further with that. Like it, it feels like you're in. Um, Stephen, you you told me uh, like a week ago you were playing uh, Lords of Shadow. You were playing the new Castlevania. And the way the developers in that game, what? Oh, Lords of Shadow. Saying the atmosphere in that game is fantastic. They they said that they wanted to make a really dark uh, fairy tale, not a dark fantasy. They were very they were very specific with their words, a dark fairy tale. And in a way, I think Amalur kind of does the same thing. And I wanted them to go further with it because I like the look of this game, even though I didn't like it at first. I like the bright colors. I like the kind of you know, darker Grimm's fairy tale type feel to the game. And I want to see him push that further. You know what I mean? I One thing that I think is going to be interesting is, you know, obviously you have, have Bob Salvatore, who is a, a very, very prolific author. He had a hand in creating the Forgotten Realms world. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see if in the same way that, that much of his his novelizations expanded forgotten realms from a scenario to a world i want to see that same sort of thing for amalur because right now amalur feels like a scenario it's a place where where you can have fun and i think with expansion it can become a world oh interesting with with a lot of intriguing i I was thinking the same thing where a future there's a lot of great history in this, but the core story here isn't very compelling. But I feel like they have the basis to make a very interesting story. You, you know, too. say say he writes two or three novels. Say he writes you know a trilogy and then scopes out five or six key characters. Well, even if Reckoning Two or the Amalur MMO or whatever doesn't touch on those characters or doesn't have those characters as main elements, there's still things that can be touched upon. There's still things that can be referenced to. And just like Star Wars, you grow and grow and grow that world, and people get more and more attached to it. Yeah. And you, uh, and you, you build characters that are memorable. I can already see 
a sequel to this game and the different things that they're going to do, and I'm excited. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that if they, they push maybe a little bit more with the tone and with, you know, establishing characters, like, there are like the main fate weaver that you meet right out of the first dungeon like he does say some funny stuff like one of the things you ask him is like are you drunk and he's like yes i am but this is very serious and it's like that's the beginning of the characterization that i think if they kind of went full bore with that this game could be a lot of fun yeah. you know, from a storytelling perspective it's already fun from a gameplay perspective i agree Yep. yep. So, so what do we think about? It? Just let's let's touch briefly. We're not we're not going to kick up too much sand, but I do find it very interesting. The review scores for this game, very you know, everybody seems to agree that it's good, but you know, you're seeing sevens, you're seeing nines, you're seeing eight point fives. So like, there's a very wide range. Where's that coming from? Uh, that's coming from the fact that there are when some people play an RPG, you know, so people who are playing Reckoning might be expecting Dragon Age. They might be yeah. expecting Mass Effect. They might be expecting any number of things. So you think expectations have a role to play in that? I do, and I think, and I think a lot of it also has to do with personal preference. You know, not everyone is going to like Reckoning because it's got a very heavy focus on gameplay yeah. and a lighter focus on uh, a narrative, changing uh, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I can see that. It's just it it shocked me a little bit. Some people, you know kicking up sand at this game and i'm like yeah, well there, you know i uh, here's the thing i'm never going to tell anyone that they're wrong about no. a game except for rob well true i mean dark souls <laughs> is the greatest game ever made yeah I mean, you're wrong um, No, i'm not <laughs> every single person is going to react to a game differently i've said this before in editorials and on the podcast and everywhere else there are a lot of games that are considered to be absolutely top tier games with oodles of production value and are universally loved that i don't like yeah. You know, if I were to, were to review Metal Gear Solid, Rob would tear me apart because I would give it uh, a middling score because I don't like it. And Urge you know to what? Kill Rising. <laughs> Metal Gear Rising. That, and, <laughs> you know I want to kill that game, but go on. That's fine. That, you know, that's how yeah. I look at it. I really don't like Metal Gear, but you know what? I'm not going to stand in anyone else's way of loving it. And you know what? Just the same, the people who are giving lower scores to Reckoning don't like Reckoning as much. No, that's that's totally fine. I think what what I'm more talking about is that some of the language that I've seen in these reviews, and and maybe this goes to the fact that I don't like some games, you know, differently than others. But like, I, some of the language, I'm like, really, you're you're knocking this game, and then I look at your review for another game, and <laughs> you, you don't really seem to be picking on it for those reasons. And I'm but, like, what? You know what? They, okay. They're, there are certain games where even though they might share flaws, they become more obvious in other games, you know? Yeah. And sometimes we don't use language that may not – we use language that may not necessarily show what we're actually feeling. I actually had someone email me thinking that I, I was very negative about Final Fantasy thirteen too, when in fact I really much enjoyed the gameplay. And I think I focused too much on the negative aspects in my review because there was lots that I liked about the gameplay, but because it was all carryover, or at least a great majority of it was carryover, I didn't spend as much time talking about it. Yeah, I, I look back at I, – I read my old reviews whenever I write a new review because I want my writing to get better on the site. And like you know, one of the first reviews that I posted was uh, Dragon Age Origins, and it's like every other paragraph I mentioned how much I hate mages in the game and how pissed off I got at them because like that became such a negative yeah. point for the and, whole game. And you know what? It's tough sometimes because 
the the longer that you have to cultivate an opinion about a game, the more you have to consider, the more that that you've experienced it. And sometimes with a review, case in point, my Final Fantasy 13 review, you know, I had a shorter amount of time in which to appreciate the game. I didn't have as much time to reflect on it and say, okay, you know what? I've had a month to think about this. You know what? I didn't like this part as much as I thought I did, but I really did like this part and I felt that it added in. Sometimes you don't get that. And sometimes, you know, it does. Things don't come across accurately in a review. I've been told lots of times that things that I think I've said very clearly don't come across at all. And this comes in, in reviews and in personal communication and everything. Yeah. What we say doesn't always match up to what we think that we're saying. Well, I think a, lo- a lot of that also has to do with putting a score on the front page. I and mean, you always have to be careful and say, does my language in the review reflect the score that I'm giving this oh, game? I'm giving absolutely. this game. A- yeah. I- and and you have lots of other issues because you you have put you know we we've all had the Metacritic game rankings discussion before, where you know what, a fifty on game rankings for us means that the game is really bad. Yeah, a fifty on game rankings for RP Gamer means that the game is slightly below average because our scales have different average points. Right, and everybody's allowed to use whatever scale they want to. I don't care. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, but yeah. but I, I'm, I'm saying in regards to, to the layperson, the reader, that, you know what, I know for a fact that a lot of our readers read RP Gamer because, well, we're to the two hardcore RPG-focused websites, and we're two of the largest. And, you know what, they're going to read a review, and they're going to read another review, and... The, the scores are going to be disparate, and I think that they will go and they will say, okay, why are these scores disparate? And consideration of different scales used may not necessarily be the first thing that comes to mind. Yep. yep. Well, I think we've, we've definitely talked a lot about these two games. I think they're both, you know, worthy. I, you know, Final Fantasy XIII 2, not my cup of tea, but people seem to be happy with it. Amalur, you know, I really, really enjoy it. I know some people don't. But this is not a bad way to start the year, guys. We got two. No, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm amazed by February. February is awesome. Yep, for and RPGs. Then, and you know what? I, uh, March sixth, not very far away, and I'm starting to get excited. I'm I just, starting to get excited. I really, I'm getting excited just because Tales of the Abyss is literally one of my favorite games ever, and the 3DS so needs good. an awesome RPG. Especially an awesome RPG that is enhanced from the original version, like they fixed glitches. You know, I oh. forgot. I forgot Derek was here. Um, yeah, I forgot Derek was here too. I'm sorry, that happened Derek. last time. I'm sorry, Derek. Yeah, Derek, you know what I want to do uh, for this what? podcast? I want to record you playing Dark Souls for like five minutes. So I'll either be silent or I'll be cursing up the storm. How far did you get? Not far. Remember, we had this Would discussion. You go I back will... and try. But... Go up. Don't I will. Go down. I will. But I was stupid and I went to the freaking catacombs and then I died. Those skeletons, man, the first time I hit one of those skeletons and did like 11 damage, I was like, I'm out of here. And then they laugh at you. They go, <laughs> They sure do. All right. Uh, John, can we do a short news section? Because I got to go check children in because it is Saturday night and we got to make sure they're not doing anything bad around campus. Okay, that's fine. Um, Diablo so, delayed. No! Right, I don't care. You can't delay a game that doesn't have a release date. That's very true. <laughs> um... Pokemon plus Nobunaga's Ambition got a trailer. <laughs> I still and, can't believe this game exists. <laughs> and holy crap, I want to play this game. Really? Yes, I do, because I love Romance of the Three Kingdoms, and I love Nobunaga's Ambition, and Pokemon is okay. <laughs> but Sounds like you, a recipe for success, or at least middling success. 
Like, no, you watch the trailer and it, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. So what this like game Cal Cal use a Charizard or like what? I, no, that's Romance of the Three Kingdoms. You're in the wrong world. I'm sorry. Nobunaga's Invisible. Ah, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking China. Yeah, whoops. Yeah. Um, anyway, my ex-girlfriend it, who studied Asian history is yelling at me right now. <laughs> it, it, it got a trailer. It's very wacky. Uh, it's it, this is from almost a month ago, but I, I felt like bringing it up because we didn't on the last podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, Japan gets a very, very fancy Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance 3DS. Don't care. I care. Uh, it's, it's very cool looking, except, except for the Kingdom Hearts and copyright Disney text. <laughs> On the top. <laughs> um, it can't be as bad as misspelling Revelations. <laughs> Revelations. <laughs> <laughs> I hope somebody at Capcom got fired over that. Oh, they're they're producing new ones. If you if you bought Revelations and would like <laughs> Revelations instead, I got the wrong game. Can I make a public service announcement? I'm not sure if you have it in news, so I want to make sure we don't uh, forget it. Uh, Radiant Historia is getting a reprinting in yeah. March. Yeah, we haven't actually done news on that yet, but we probably will. That's pretty awesome. Like, I, definitely, if you're looking for a traditional JRPG and you got a DS, you got to play that game. It's a very, very good game. It's Radiant Historia. Sorry, I, my internet cut out for a second. Yeah, we're talking about the reprint of Radiant Historia. I just want to scream in the professor's voice, "Good news, everyone!" Because that's amazing news. That game is so good and. It, yeah. It's all. It's always nice when Atlas does a reprint because go buy it. If you didn't, you, you're dumb. Go so buy speaking, it. So speaking of Atlas doing awesome, awesome things, did you guys see the uh, the interview with one of the Sony chief executives? <laughs> yes, I <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I saw it on Game Informer where they were he played Wait. demon. Uh, there there was an interview with with one of the guys who who at uh, a at Sony Publishing. And they were talking about why they didn't localize Dark Souls, and it's because he played yeah, it and Demon he thought Souls. it was awful. Or Demon Souls, I'm sorry. Yeah, because Demon Souls in Japan was licensed by uh, Sony. It, it, Sony yeah, it was published owns, by Sony. Sony owns the Demon Souls license, and they were going to bring it over to America. And he said he played it for like five minutes. Like, God, this is terrible. Oops. Like, what would have happened? Like, if that had been brought over by Sony, like, for, first I, off, would anybody have played it? I don't know. Like. I, I don't know. Atlas's you know marketing for that game was phenomenal. They like, they, 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 they were, want to play it. They were hardcore about it too. Um, you know, Atlas is a company that we work very closely with, and it's very clear on some of their games that they're not pushing them as hard. They pushed Demon Souls like there was no tomorrow. They because were, they knew it would sell. There was advertising. I mean, the the first print of the game. It wasn't a special edition that you had to pay more money from for. It was a first print. Came with a guidebook, the music soundtrack. No, that that, that was not a first print. That was a special edition. Uh, I think it was a pre order. Like uh, okay, so it was a pre order, but you didn't have to pay more for it. If you pre-ordered the game, you got that deluxe edition, and it was it, that just was awesome. And you know, they had a great website. They showed videos for the game. They showed it at E3, and uh, you know, they basically created a franchise. Like I, I think you know, I, I wish that they had gotten the opportunity now, to publish. Rob, it. Rob, you you are confused. The art book came with both if you pre-ordered it. The strategy guide came with just the deluxe edition, which cost more. Did it cost more? I thought so. Didn't didn't they do that with um, Dark Souls though? Like as a GameStop pre-order bonus, you got it, some kind of enhanced edition. Yeah, and it was kind of. Eh. 
it wasn't as good. I mean, get, getting a strategy guide for one of the hardest games ever made always kind of a plus. You, you I remember right, I, I was I was working at GameStop when when Demon Souls came out, and uh, people got mad because the strategy guide wasn't uh, available separately. I I thought it was a good idea putting the strategy. Well, but at that point, the game had been out for so long in Japan. All you have to do is like type in Demon Souls Wiki, and you have the strategy guide right yeah. there. Like, and the same thing with Dark Souls now. Like that they, they the wiki sites are great. They're constantly updated, so. Okay. Uh, Witcher 2, Assassin's Kings for 360 has some pre-order bonuses. Get a keychain, which if it's the one that I think it is, um, it's very heavy and you really can't carry it on your keys. <laughs> is it the, is it like is the, it the wolf's head? Yeah, it's a, it's a wolf's head. and Witcher uh, emblem. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and they, they gave them away, I don't know, four years ago for the original Witcher at E3, and they're very heavy. Cool. cool. And they will hurt you if you sit on them. Because the the, the wolves yourself. do not sit on Witcher emblems. Yeah, it's very it's very very spiky. Uh, Amazon.com, you get a digital Witcher two comic, and Best Buy, you get a T-shirt, and it's gonna be out on April seventeenth. Go play it. It is. I get to awesome play it for game. the first time. Yay! It was Actually, our, it was our game of the year for a reason. It is a phenomenal game. Very yeah. very good. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see the enhancements that they make. You know, it, I love the fact that CD Projekt has continue to support that game i really want to ask them uh if we're going to get those enhancements for the pc edition because i would play it yes Yes. we're going to get them okay i'm playing the game again because i want to play that game again i love that game very very good i just finished building my pc and i the first thing i got working on it was the witcher 2 and a it looks unfreaking believable and b it is really a fantastically polished game i am the Xbox is getting some sweet RPGs in the next that, few months. That is a that is a good one. And I, again, yeah. I, I I bagged on the game a little bit, but that's just because I'm very very picky. But that is a great game, great okay. game. Uh, Ghost Trick is available on iOS now. Cool. How's uh, how's the translation? Do we know? Is it is it like does it work? <laughs> I don't know. I have not played it. It's only ten dollars though. Wow. I feel ripped off now. Well, or <laughs> or if you buy it, it it's. It's set up like all iOS games are, where you can buy chunks of episodes. If you buy everything separately, it's 15 or you buy it all at once, it's 10 Good game. Good game. A little frustrating. Yeah. Good game. Good game. Um, winter is coming on March 15th, or May 15th. You know... Well, uh, game I, of Thrones RPG. I have no hope for that game. No, no, I know that you know, but I'm clarifying for our <laughs> listeners. Yeah, uh, I did play the uh, Game of Thrones board game though, and it was awesome. If probably Were you bored, uh, 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 it is one of the most complicated games I've ever played. But that is an—it's kind of like diplomacy and risk mated. It's really, really fun. It's worth playing. I, I recommend it. The second you know, edition I, just came out. I, I really enjoyed Blood Bowl, so I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt for this game, even though Blood Bowl is far from an RPG. But that's such a unique world. Like uh, the world that Martin created is so cool and you know i I know bioware said that they they wanted to make something along those lines with uh dragon age yeah they didn't get close but they still did a really good job if if anybody got game of thrones right that would be great i I would love that we'll see what happens there i want a whole Um, game that's the lands meet (laughs) uh, a whole game (laughs) xenoblade chronicles uh nintendo of america is doing a vote on their facebook page for different covers or alternate covers and they're all fantastic cool uh, i really don't like the one that's all green but the green and yellow when the one oh yeah yeah 
I mean, some of them are weaker than others, but the, I think all of the art is just awesome. Like, it just makes me that much more excited to go out and pick it up. And I hope they do the same with the last story. Um, if you want to put Macho Man Randy Savage in your Skyrim, that's much easier because the creation gets now on Steam. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. CryEngine 3 was actually just licensed by Warhorse Studios for an RPG. Um, this is based. This is a studio based in the Czech Republic, and it's headed up by Mafia's design director Dan Vavra, and a developer for Operation Flashpoint, Dragon Rising, Martin Klima. Interesting. So there, there's there's absolutely no details available at this point, but um, yeah, CryEngine Three is pretty fancy. Yeah. 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 Um. Tales of Graces F, if you pre-order at GameStop, you get a costume pack and a dynamic theme that will not be available separately. Ah. And and if you wear the costumes, you get uh, Tales of Destiny battle music. Yes. Really? That's cool. Yeah. Yes. That's the, costumes, cool. the costume pack is is costumes from Tales of Destiny and Tales of Destiny 2. The I real. that's lovely. The real Tales of Destiny 2, not Tales of Eternia. Oh, yeah, the Tales of Destiny 2 with Kyle or whatever. We just yeah. about done with news. Uh, I got two more. Okay. Uh, Dead Island getting DLC starring Ryder White, who is the bad guy. Should I pick that, that game the... up next time it's on Steam sale? If it's on sale, yeah. Like I, I gave it a seventy on my review, but that was assuming that you're paying sixty dollars for it. I mean, it's, it's not great. It's, it's not, not even good, but it's passable. Like you know, it's <laughs> it's slightly below average, but it's got it's got some elements going for it. The combat's fun. Yeah, that that gets to what we were talking about in the pre-show warm-up about, like, it, sometimes we just need to get away from these $60 priced games. I, I said during our pre-show thing that, you know, I really enjoy The Darkness too, but if I hadn't have had a gift card, I would not pay 50 or 60 bucks for it. Like, that's, it, it's just not there in terms of the amount of, Steven? Yes? I, I was, you hate when I use this word, so I, I was going to say it, but it's it's not there in terms of content. It it's hard to just, no. I mean, I I I can I, I I'm not universally against the term, but if you got a four to five hour solid action game, like I'm sorry, I just don't think that that should cost sixty bucks. Like that that to me is kind of nuts. I think we need to get away from that in the industry because there's nothing wrong with like a forty or thirty dollar game. Portal Two was six hours long, and I would have paid sixty. I did pay sixty dollars for that. And was I very paid, happy to. I paid fifty dollars for it, and I was kind of pissed because, like, the next week it was like forty bucks on Steam, and it's always been less than that ever since. Yeah, well, the that's, joys of buying a game on day one. Really adopting. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, okay, the I'm really ending on a not super fancy story. Uh, Lord of the Rings Online has an expansion called The Writers of Rohan announced. Be available in this fall. Increase the level cap to eighty five. Wow. Uh, go to Rohan. Um, meet with the Ents. Cool. Great game. Can, can you like MMOs and you like Lord, Lord of the Rings, you should definitely try it. Can I, be an, awesome. can I be an Ent? No, you could be a man burglar, though. A what? Is that like a turd burglar? <laughs> no, I mean, it, you're, you're, the race is man, and you could be a man hunter, a man burglar, a man captain. Is that like the Hamburglar? I'm confused. All right. They, they serve the same function. <laughs> so is that it for news? Uh, that That's everything, I think. All right. 
Well, uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening to the show. It uh, looks like we have a lot of Mass Effect 3 stuff coming up. We're definitely going to try to get a huge podcast together with that. Everybody talk about their individual shepherds. Uh, I think we'll I think, just... I think next podcast we should do some Japanese stuff, maybe with Hakuoki coming up, Neptunia 2. Yeah, we got um, lots of games. Tales of Tales of 3DS. I think that we can do all something Japan. Before, yeah, we can do something before Mass Effect. But uh, yeah, it sounds good. We'll do a big uh, JRPG podcast, and then we can kind of switch gears into Mass Effect uh, after that as we get into March. We got some retrospectives planned. A couple people on the board said that they were interested in a Final Fantasy retrospective, which would probably take us the better part of a summer. But uh we no, you, you're, you're way underestimating anything. I, I think it's just a summer. I know. I, I, could, I could write a thesis on Final Fantasy VII and how effed up it is. And your top tagline could be, ooh, soft. <laughs> That's Final Fantasy IX, though. But still, I love it. Uh, so, yeah, we have a lot of good ideas. Again, we have not forgotten about the Shadow Hearts podcast. I just need time to play those games. You have said that at the end of every podcast for who knows how long. I feel Do really it. bad. I feel really bad, but it's like, it, honestly, uh, dude, working for a living sucks. Yeah, like, tell me about it. Everybody stay in school as long as you stay in school. Don't do drugs. Stay in school. Eat your vitamins. You know, say your prayers and whatnot. And, you know, well, don't. You can fight forest fires. I was more doing a Hulk Hogan thing to match with the Macho Man Randy Savage thing. You know, I only get three weeks of vacation time a year, and I use one week for E3. And it's like, do I really want to use days off to play video games, and I'm going to do that? Yeah. See, I, I work at a boarding school, so I get the summers off, and it's just like... That, that's when I had time to play Vampire through the whole way with four different characters over the course of two weeks. <laughs> Woo, that was fun. You fiend. I started to really smell, though. I think I forgot to take showers in there. Like, I, I was just totally fiending on the game, and I had, like, pizza boxes strewn about my office. So so pretty much you were you were a Malkavian? Yes, I was, in fact, a Malkavian. I, I yelled at a stop sign. So, okay. again... No, uh, stop. No, you stop. No, you right. stop. Thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to the show. For John, Stephen, and Derek, uh, thanks again. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us ratings. Uh, we're going to keep in communicado on the boards and look forward to more crazy stuff. 